are going on a journey, and I want to just congratulate you on your bravery. If you were here last week, that you would come and, and hear this again this week. Because he is taking us on a crazy and epic journey this morning. We are going to be looking at the topic of expectancy. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, give him a shake, and say, wake up! Are you ready to capture a hold of an expectant spirit? Many of you will have heard of the name William Carey. And and many of you may know quite a bit about his life. But for those who don't, William Carey was a missionary to India. William Carey's life was marked by one trial after another. In fact, he called himself the plodder. He simply plodded his way with obedience. In fact, when William Carey started out his life in ministry, he failed dismally his first attempt at ordination. He would go on to have several children. He would watch in his lifetime as two of those children died. He would marry three times during his lifetime. Two of his wives would die, one of which would not die before she turned insane. And in fact, they had to lock her up because she threatened him with a knife. He was out on the mission field in India. And in fact, they overestimated how, sorry, underestimated how much it would cost for them to be on the field. In the, I think it was the early 1800s. I think I've got my timeline right there in the early 1800s. They underestimated how much it would cost for them to be on the field. And so for the first number of years, he and his family lived in extreme poverty. And it would take seven years before they would see their first convert. In after 19 years of translation work, a fire would go and wipe out most of the work he had completed. 19 years of work. Uh, many of his team deserted him and formed an organization in opposition to him to try and undermine his ministry. But by the age of 72, when he would finally go to be with his Lord... He would see many hundreds of people come to faith in Christ. He would be instrumental in helping the um, religious practices of Hinduism that were so abhorrent in that day with infanticide and many other types of of horrible ritual sacrifices. He was instrumental in abolishing those practices throughout India. And he would see no less then 44 translations of the Bible in different dialects in his day. Oh, and he would also be known as the father of the modern missions movement. If there was one statement that would capture his heart, he said famously these words, expect great things from God. Attempt great things from God. For God. Expectancy. The spirit of expectancy will help you to overcome obstacles. The spirit of expectancy will help you to face your fears. The spirit of expectancy will help you march into the middle of miracle territory, holding no one's hand but God's. Oh, I may be old fashioned, but I think it's really important to be expectant about spiritual things. It is really important to be expected about the works of Jesus. It is really important to be expectant about eternal things. 
We get all sorts of excitement and all psyched up about sports, don't we? I was with a friend this week and he said, Mark, he said, this weekend it's pre-season game for my, for my team. And, and he was getting all excited as he should be. I'm like that at the start of football season too. We get all passionate about a new product purchase. I know when you get a car or you get a house or I like to buy cheap clothes. If I get a deal, I can't wait to tell my friends about it. Get passionate about those things. We get all, all fussied up and all the fanfare of fireworks on 4th of July and we celebrate those things and so we should. When was the last time we allowed a tide of expectancy to rise in our spirits about spiritual things. When was the last time that you bubbled up inside with expectancy about the move of Jesus? When was the last time that expectancy engulfed your every thought about spiritual things? Today, we're going to go on a journey about raising the tide of expectancy because, oh, I may be old-fashioned, but I think it is really important to be expectant about spiritual things. We see in the book of Hebrews that the scriptures are replete with examples of people who were expectant. We know the story of Noah who, who built an ark expecting this thing called rain to come out of the sky that he'd never seen before. We see Abraham, don't we, raise a, a blade above his son expecting God to provide an alternate sacrifice. We see Moses, we see David, we see Rahab, we see Esther, we see a woman in, at the feet of Jesus you know, washing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair, expectant for acceptance. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 11, verses 32 and 33 says this, How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight oh it is really important to be expectant about spiritual things we're going to turn this morning over into the book of second kings we're going to read a rather curious scripture today in chapter 13 we're going to read from verses 14 to 19 in the book of Second Kings, if you've got your Bibles there. When Elisha, so this is the, the prophet Elisha, was in his last illness. In other words, he's getting ready to die. King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And then Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. Then he commanded, open that eastern window. And he opened it. Then he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the arrow. This, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram. For you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. 
So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have had beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you'll be victorious only three times. Then Elisha died and was buried. As we raise the tide of expectancy in our spirits, I want us to just look very simply at three key areas that we need to raise the tide on. We need to raise the tide on our expectancy about God's promises. We need to raise the tide on expectancy about the significance of God's power. And we need to raise the tide of expectancy around the potential of our faith. Three vital things that we need to raise the tide of expectancy of. Because I want to say on the front end, make there, let there be no mistake about it. There is a high cost to not having expectancy about spiritual things. There is a high cost to not being expectant about spiritual things. The prophet said to the king, prophet said to the king, the Lord has promised you victory over your enemy. You have the arrow of the Lord's deliverance in your hand and you can't show a little bit of enthusiasm. You've got the arrow of victory in the, of the Lord's victory in your hands and you can't even get a little bit passionate. You've got the arrow of the Lord's victory in your hands and you can't even be a little bit expectant about spiritual things. Oh, there's a high cost to not having expectancy over spiritual things, over the things of Jesus, over eternal things. A, a little bit of background to this story. This is one of the Old Testament stories, I believe, that we can almost perfectly overlay into our contemporary society as a body of believers here in the West particularly. If I had the time, I'd take you back to Second uh, Kings chapter 2, because there you would see how the transference of anointing from the prophet Elijah to the prophet Elisha. You may think, what an odd thing for a king to say, my Lord, my Lord, the chariots and charioteers of Israel. What a weird thing to say. Well, not really, because in 2 Kings chapter 2, you will see that they are the exact same words that Elisha spoke. See, the king was saying all the right things. If you went across into the book of 2 Kings in those early chapters and you saw that transference of anointing from Elijah to Elisha, you would see that when Elisha took hold of the robe from Elisha, took hold of his cloak, as he got hold of that, he raced to the edge, to the banks of the Jordan, and he threw that cloak down. And the Bible says that he cried out, Where are you, Lord? What does he see the king do? Oh, the king does the right religious activity. He just taps the arrow on the ground three times. We might put it this way. But they go to church. He serves in a ministry team. 
She attends Bible study. They went on a missions trip. What is missing is not the right words that the king says. What is missing is not the religious activity. What is missing, and the old prophet sees it, is the king doesn't carry a spirit of expectancy over the things of God. And as a result, he would only have a partial victory because the king was walking out in the natural. And this was a hinge moment of history where God was wanting to partner his super with the king's natural to create a supernatural outcome. And Elisha understood the moment. And it was typified by a mediocre response that the king would only get a natural victory, a partial victory. You see, mediocre reaction to the things of God only produces mediocre outcomes. I want to challenge you to consider something for a few moments. What were you once expectant for? What promise did you carry in your heart where you could not wake up and confront a new day? Where you would not see a challenge and go, I cannot wait to see God at work. What was that thing that buried so deep in your spirit that when it came to worship, you sang with all your gusto and your might because you knew your God? But now... But now, it's perhaps even a distant memory, but now, something robbed you along the way, but now, you come into a body of believers and, well, you say the right things, perhaps, even go through a few of the religious activities, but you find yourself looking at your watch, or perhaps worse looking across the row and judging somebody who may be expectant. Oh, I've been that guy. I think we've all been that guy. What were you once expectant about? What have you perhaps given up your passions over? Because I have come a long way to tell you this morning that there is a high cost to not being passionate. There is a high cost to not being expectant about spiritual things. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, there is a high cost. There is a high cost. I know for me, when I've had to look at raising the tide of my expectancy, I've needed to go back over some of the promises of God. I've got a few here for you this morning. There's thousands of them. I haven't got thousands to tell you, but I've got a few. Some is the promise that I have been healed, that I am the salt of the earth, that I am the light of the world, that I am commissioned to make disciples. There's the promise that I am a child of God, that I have eternal life, that I've been given peace, that I am part of the true vine, a channel of Christ's life, that I am clean, that I am Christ's friend, that I am forever free from condemnation, that I am a son of God. Spiritually, God is my father. The promise that I am a joint heir with Christ, sharing in his inheritance, that I am more than a conqueror through Christ 
who loves me. Oh, Lord, would you raise up in us today a tide of expectancy over spiritual things. Spiritually expectant people reallocate their resources to the values of heaven, reposition their relationships in alignment with the values of heaven, realign their responsibilities with the values of heaven. Oh, when God stirs in your heart, is your response mediocre? If your response is mediocre, you will only get a mediocre result. God has a promise for you. We're to be expectant about the proofs of divine power. The Bible says the old man placed his hands on the king's hands as he pulled the arrow back and fired the arrow out the east window. Both of those things are very important to understand. First of all, when the old prophet put his hands on the king's hands and drew the arrow back, he was saying that the Lord's anointing is now transferring to you. This is that hinge moment of history where God's super was about to partner with the king's natural. And, and the fact that he was facing the east window as he, as he pulled back and shot that arrow out was instructive too because that was the direction of the Assyrian army. What direction are you facing? Is your faith directed in the direction of God's favor? Or is it, well, I'm a man of faith, the favor's over there. Well, I'm a man of faith and I really want to go after the things of God. Oh, I'm excited about what God's doing. All the while, where you've got to go is over this way. But we've got our back turned to the promises of God and we're, we're nothing more than, than walking rhetoric of spiritual phrases and religious, mild religious activities. Uh, the Lord has a phenomenal sense of humor. This week when I was doing some preparation, I'd been pressing into a couple of things around worship. As I explained last week, we've started a, a, an online global ministry. And that sounds like fun and all those sorts of great things, and it is, but it comes with a unique set of problems as well. And one of those unique sets of problems have to do with worship. And, and those who know Julie and I know that we have a passion for worship. We've spent 10 years as worship pastors ourselves. We, it's a high, high thing inside our own, our own being. And, and Seth, our, our worship director, is an amazing man of God. And we've been wrestling out together going, how do we do this? And, and in the preparation time for this, I was doing some journaling on Tuesday. And boom, fire hydrant from heaven came. I'm going, well, this is great. Because now I've got a whole new set of problems. Because the, the revelation was not just, okay, we're going to develop this, this model of worship. The revelation was that he wants to take a model of worship to nine different countries over the next year. To raise up worship teams, to film it, to record it, to all these things, and, and to run a beta test here in Charlotte. And guess what? August. What month is it now? August. So here we go. What do I do? The favor's over there. Here's the revelation. Do I go into my corner and go, well, Lord, I'm just going to pray about this. And when your right timing comes, I'm going to do it. And Lord, I would just pray that you would just stir in my spirit to get it all right in Jesus' name. Or I've already got the fire hydrant. I'm, I'm drowning. I'm soaking wet in revelation. What do you do? You get the arrow. You pull it out. You pick up the phone. You say, Seth, man of God, I got some revelation. 
And he will go, well, how are we going to pay for that? I don't know, but I know the God who will in Jesus' name. And guess what? Have you got some time this month? Because I've got to book some flights today to get you out here. What am I doing? Staring into the face of the revelation. And the king was focused in the direction of the revelation by the old prophet, and he was doing that on purpose. Because if you're going to walk in the promise, you've got to at least be pointed in the right direction. What direction are you facing? Have you taken hold of the anointing of the Lord? Taking hold of the anointing of the Lord actually takes means some action steps. Oftentimes, we, we, not oftentimes, all the time, we don't get a floodlight for our feet, it's a lamp. And a lamp just shows the next step on the path. We take the next step with an expectant spirit. Oh, Lord, raise it up in me. Where are you, God? Oh, can you feel it rise in you this morning? Because he wants to raise the tide of expectancy because there is a high cost to not being expectant about spiritual things. The nature of faith is like this. Jesus says a very curious thing to the disciples several times of which you will be well aware of. And he says this, you of little faith. It's a very, very curious thing for Jesus to say. Because the scriptures also tell us that faith is a gift from God. And so if Jesus was talking about the quantity of the disciples' faith, they were well within their rights to say, stop the boat, Jesus. This is not our problem. This is your problem. Because you gave us the quantity of faith, don't tell us off for how much we've got. Because you gave it to us in the first place. So what on earth is he talking about? Because he simply cannot be talking about the overall quantity of their faith. I believe he's talking about the appropriation of their faith. You see, faith is never in stasis. It's never static. It's always being actively employed somewhere. I think Peter, in that famous story where he walks on the water, is the easiest illustration. It's why we preachers use it every other sermon. And it's that when he gets out of the boat, his, his faith is entirely on Jesus. And so walking in miracle territory is the most natural thing in the world to do. He's appropriated all of the faith he has into Jesus. But the moment his eyes turn off Jesus... Now his faith is in himself, and he sinks. You see, appropriation of faith, I believe Jesus is saying, you who have taken the faith I have given you and put a little bit in me and lots in yourself. See, faith and expectancy are in an inseparable relationship. The two go hand in hand. And if your faith is in yourself, you have no expectancy about what Jesus is going to do because you've got to simply control every outcome. But when our faith is in Jesus, our expectancy rises. He said to me one day, he said, Mark, do you want to know that I'm faithful or do you want to need that I need me to be faithful? What's he saying? He goes, do you want to know about me and have faith in yourself or do you want to have faith in me? So it's a dangerous questions for us to take a hold of. But I know when my faith is in him, I know when I'm walking in miracle territory, I know when I'm stepping into the areas of the promise that he has for me and my faith is partnered to Jesus, my expectancy rises. It's in an inseparable relationship. And so this morning, 
Where is your faith? Where is it partnered with? Is it partnered with yourself or is it partnered to Jesus? Because there is, make no mistake about it, there is a high cost to not being expectant about spiritual things. To be expectant about the things of Jesus. To be expectant about eternal things. There is a high cost. You are to be expectant about divine promises. Expectant about the proofs of divine power. And to be expectant about the potential of your faith. That's what I love about Pastor Lowell. He and I have been friends, I can say now, for over a decade. He has more wrinkles than I do. I have more gray hair than he does. (laughs) But there's one thing I love about that man of God is where he relentlessly goes to position people into the presence of God. See, faith's potential rises when we're in the context of other people whose faith is rising. It's contagious. Rising, Rising faith is just simply contagious. I want to posit to you this morning, if you're having struggles with your faith, maybe you need to fire your old friends and hire some new ones. Because when you're around faith-filled people, you can't help but be a faith-filled person. If you find you're around people that find a problem with every solution, instead of a solution in every problem then maybe you're around the wrong kinds of people. And Pastor Lowell is the right kind of person. He's the kind of guy that when I come away from him and he comes away from me, our faith is built because he's telling me to believe what he's pressing in for and I can't help but tell him to believe what I'm pressing in for. And we encourage each other and we build each other and we go, you can do it, man of God. I have faith with you for this because I know your God and you know mine and our spirits rise and we leave each other and we storm the mountain again in Jesus' name. And this is a church where you see people respond to the good things of God. He's created with his team a safe place to hear dangerous messages like this. He's created a space for you to have a judgment-free zone where you can respond, you can weep, you can hug, you can cry, you can dance and celebrate and jump around and get excited about spiritual things. That's the kind of church this is. This isn't one of those shh churches. You know those shh churches? where there's polar bears in the pulpits and icicles in the pews. Uh, the shh churches have, have got lots of teensicles because there's lots of mumsicles and popsicles getting around. Oh, this isn't one of those shh churches. No, this is a church where you get to see on full display the works and the wonders and the miracles of God. And we get to see our faith built and our faith raised and rised up so that the tide of expectancy rises and you can come into this space with your dream. You can walk in here with your promise. You can gather around the peace of God and you can walk out of here with your arrow firmly focused and expectancy and faith uniting and see the victory of the Lord's hand at work in and through your life. Are you expectant? Is the tide of your faith rising. Oh, because there is a high cost to not being expectant about spiritual things, to not being expectant about the works of Jesus, to not being expectant about eternal 
things. When we look at mail, and I send out some mail or I receive some mail, there's two things about that mail that are true. One is that in order for it to be delivered, it needs to be delivered. In other words, it's got to be delivered from somewhere in order for it to be delivered to somewhere. They're the two things. Mail is delivered to somewhere, but it's got to be delivered from somewhere. This morning I know enough about God to know that every one of you are pregnant with a promise. Every one of you have a dream. Every one of you have something that sits inside. And maybe you've never given it audience, but it sits there. Maybe you have given it audience. And it's sitting in the back burner in the recesses of your mind. Maybe you've given it audience and you got smacked down and knocked down. Maybe it's caused you to turn this way while the promise is that way. I believe there's two things this morning the Lord wants to do. The first is He wants to deliver you from that. Because He wants to deliver you to your promise. I'm not sure what that promise is that you carry. I know mine. There's things that I've had to deal with this week in preparation for this where I knew I was saying the right words and I was just tapping mildly. And the Lord said, man of God, there's a high cost. We, uh, we had a chance to be in a ministry many years ago. And we got ourselves in a position where we suddenly had an awfully large sum of money. And I'll never forget what that looked like. And we had the capacity to dream amazing dreams and go after amazing things but there were many on the team that roadblocked and said no and they used the most disempowering word in the English language that's the word can't remember you say can't you've placed a ceiling over that area of your life and so many of those things didn't actually happen they didn't take place and the Lord switched vision off for us and it's actually one of the reasons how we ended up out here all those years ago We were back there just last year, and what was really interesting is every single one of the things he gave in our vision, he had given to someone else as a vision, and they were making it happen right now. And I want you to listen to this. Some of those people he gave it to weren't even believers, because what he had given was going to benefit the community, whether believers were doing it or non-believers were doing it. You see, the the promise of God He invites you into, He wants to see it come alive through you. But if you aren't carrying an expectant spirit for the things of God, He will remove it. And He will give it to somebody else. So nothing will thwart the purposes of God. But He wants to invite you into this journey of a lifetime. But if we don't carry a spirit of expectancy, if we only have a mild response spiritual things then you're about to pay a high cost because you'll never walk in the fullness of the victory of that promise it was true true of Joash Jeroboam II took the full victory Joash only got a partial victory Jeroboam would come and seize the fullness of the victory and so this morning I've got some arrows here I'm going to lay them out the front and as our 
team leads us in her final song, I invite you to come. Maybe there's some striking on the ground that you need to do today. Maybe it's been a long time since you allowed yourself and gave yourself permission to be truly excited, to be truly passionate about spiritual things. I believe he wants to raise the tide of expectancy in this room this morning because he has called you to this city and he has matched every resource to that responsibility. But you will only activate and realize the amount of promise that your expectancy and your faith create room for. I want to close with some closing remarks of William Carey. As you think about what is it, what is it that the Lord's causing me to pick up again and to go after with all the faith I can muster? I want to let these words deposit in your spirit. He said this. He said, when I left England, my hope of India's conversion was very strong. But amongst so many obstacles, it would die unless upheld by God. Well, I have God. And his word is true. Though the superstitions of the heathen were a thousand times stronger than they are, and the example of the Europeans a thousand times worse, though I were deserted by all and persecuted by all, yet my faith, fixed on the sure word, would rise above all obstructions and overcome every trial. God's cause will triumph. Expect great things. Right things for God. I invite you to see this as a marker moment in your narrative, in your story under heaven. This is a hinge moment of history right here upon which many years shall swing. Will you give yourself permission to light up the faith inside? Partner your yes with heaven. Raise the tide of expectancy and faith in Jesus' name because he's given the promise to you and he wants you to be the one to carry it through to victory.